Okay. I'm good. Y'all can hear me? Yeah? Good. Okay, so Tommy said, uh, I think he introduced uh, me as preaching out of Ephesians. Well, I'm going to sideswipe you here, and I'm actually not preaching out of Ephesians. We're going to, Chad gave me the opportunity, he said, he called me a couple weeks ago, and he said, "Um, all right, you want to take the teaching time next Sunday, or two weeks from now? And uh, I said, yeah, sure, why not? And he said, you can teach on whatever you want. And I was like, that's dangerous, because... My first thought was maybe the prisoner of Azkaban, but then a friend of mine told me, probably just stick to Jesus. I was like, okay, that's a good idea. Thanks, Stephen. Where are you at? Okay. Um, Yeah, so uh, I was trying to figure out, what am I going to teach on? Um, And I came to, I I was thinking through what has God been teaching me a lot about over the last couple, there, Stephen, hey. Um, uh, What has God been teaching me a lot about over the last uh, couple years? And... um, so I came to this passage in uh, Matthew 24. It's my favorite, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Matthew 24, 14. So what I'm going to do here uh, is I'm going to preach out of Matthew 24, but it's going to be more teachy. It's going to be less preachy, more teachy. Um, so if that's okay with you, you know, just hopefully it'll, you'll, it'll resonate with you still. It's, I'm used to doing like, you know, points and then illustrations and like, you know, keeping your attention. That's kind of how you keep people's attention. And so I'm, I'm hoping that it, this will be more narrative, kind of a flow. So I hope that you can stick with me. You know, if not, just, you know, pretend. So that, that would help me. Um, yeah, and then uh, at the end, so fourth quarter, I'm going to talk about the Los Angeles vision for the church plant. Um, and I'll introduce you guys to that vision because uh, in a few months, myself and about 10 others from here are going to be sent out to Los Angeles and we'll be sent out by you guys. So we want to introduce you guys to that vision. Okay. So, uh, Matthew 24, if, uh, if you've read the gospel of Matthew, you know that, um, Matthew 24 is all about the end times. Okay. It's about the, uh, end of this present age and the coming of the kingdom of heaven or, uh, the age to come. And so, or, uh, or the kingdom of God. There's a lot of synonyms for it. So, okay, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, oh, great. He's about to expound upon the, ever pre- the ever-prevalent dis- debate and discourse concerning the various eschatological perspectives such as pre post millennialism. And don't worry. I know you were thinking that, but I'm not going to do that. Does that sound pretty cool? That sound pretty smart. <laughs> I don't know what I just said, but I'm sure that it was really smart. Um, no, I don't want to get caught up in the details. That's the idea. I don't, I don't want to go into these details. They're really cool to study. They're important, um, but that's not what this time is going to be about. There's, this time, I'm going to be painting in broad strokes here and giving you kind of a perspective, maybe a perspective shift. Okay, so uh, uh, this one verse, Matthew 24, 14, as followers of Jesus, partnering in God's mission, like this sentence that Jesus spoke has massive implications for our lives, I, like huge. And so I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll kind of go into pulling out what these implications are. Okay, Matthew 24:14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I'm going to pray for us. God, um, I ask you to open up uh, our ears today. Uh, speak through your word. Like, don't let them hear from me. 
I pray that this really is what you want to tell them. And uh, ultimately that we, that we leave here today closer to you, more in love with you, Jesus. Because, man, that's, that's what this is all about. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to ask the text three questions. Um, and uh, just to kind of tease out what these implications are. Uh, and the first question is, uh, what does Jesus mean when he says this gospel of the kingdom? What does he mean when he says that? Okay, second question is going to be, what does Jesus mean when he says the end? I mean, that's a pretty big statement, the end of all things and the, this new creation. Okay, so what does he mean by the end? And the last one is, um, what does he mean by all nations? And that one I'm going to tie in to the L.A. vision trip um, or the L.A. church plant. All right, so I picked this passage uh, because it seems that in American Christianity, we have this like super overly simplistic understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And you might say, okay, why is it wrong? Simple isn't always bad. Why is that wrong? And so uh, I think we really need to have a firm understanding of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven uh, because he talks about it so much and because he's Jesus and what he says is important. <laughs> so um, the way you think about the end has huge impact, huge influence over the way you live right now. The way you think about the end, the way you view the end is, has a huge impact on how you live right now. Um, so what does Jesus mean when he talks about the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, there it is. What does Jesus mean? Um, it seems that when most of us hear gospel, or when he says this gospel of the kingdom particularly, um, it seems that when most of us hear gospel, what do you think of? You think of Jesus dying for my sins. That's called the atonement. Uh, this idea that we were guilty before a good and just God. We deserve to be punished, but Jesus came and he was punished for us on our behalf and so that we could be made right before God. That's what, when you hear gospel, a lot of times that's what you think of. What's interesting, what I found interesting, I was studying this and I was thinking about it. Jesus said kingdom so much and the good news of the kingdom so much, but he hadn't died on the cross yet. He hadn't, he hadn't even made the sacrifice yet. And so that leads me to think, well, maybe that's not exactly what Jesus was talking about. Um, what I want to say to you is that the atonement, Jesus dying for your sins, is not the gospel. It's an important, a very important aspect of the gospel, but it's not the end of the gospel. What I want to introduce, the idea is that it's actually not the end. It's a means to an end, by which I mean it's a, a way by which a greater purpose could be accomplished, not just so that we could be made right before God, but there's, there's more. It's like, it's more dynamic um, richer, fuller, more full. I've heard it both ways. Um, yeah, no, it, there's more to the story than that. So if I ask the question, why did Jesus die? The typical answer right here, like I said, is uh, so that we can go to heaven. The problem with that is it makes the gospel all about who? Us. Thank you. Yeah. It makes the gospel all about us. And it's his gospel. So there's actually... The, the, as opposed to being all about God, if he died just so that we could be right before God, then the gospel just becomes all about us. As well as, um, you know, this idea that he died so I could go out there doesn't really, uh, doesn't really work with much of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Um, what does that mean? So uh, I want to make a very bold statement here, all right? You ready? Jesus didn't die so that you could go to heaven. See, it's in bold. Yeah, it's kind of my hook, but, I, but stick with me, okay? What I want to say is that the good news, the gospel is actually better than that. It's much better than that. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of tease out uh, why and how and what I mean by that. So I want to refocus, kind of maybe refocus our perspective, um, maybe come to a more complete understanding of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, so in order to do that, let's take the word gospel. What does gospel mean? Yeah, good news, good news. Yeah, the gospel means good news. But what's interesting, uh, I'm gonna go into the Greek stuff. That's always fun. So euangelion is the word that we translate good news or gospel, okay? So this word, this Greek word, um, is always applying to royalty, always applying to uh, um, a kingdom. It's kingdom language, okay? So when Jesus says euangelion, so it would be like uh, if they're in the Roman Empire, when they would expand and conquer this new territory over here, um, they would send out this euangelion, this good news. Hey, guess what? Well, the kingdom has just gotten bigger. This is good news, all right? Or if, uh, like Caesar, if Caesar was coming to town, uh, they would send out these runners, go ahead of everyone, shouting and proclaiming, hey, good news, the king is coming. Caesar is coming here where things change. Th- things get better when Caesar comes. It's a good, good news. Um, and so it's not like, hey, good news, your sister had a baby, or like finals are over, you know? Um, it's, it's always repl- relating to kingdom language. And so uh, Jesus saw himself, when he would say gospel is good news, as the messenger of this kingdom and saying, hey, the good news, the kingdom, uh, this is, it's here, you know? And so we'll ask, the next thing, the next part we want to go to, so good news, it's kingdom language, is this idea uh, he's, of kingdom, this word kingdom. Now, this really struck me. And I, I, I got to say this, if you've listened to the Bible Project, this, I'm paraphrasing a lot of what, what they teach. Like, it's awesome, an amazing resource, go check them out. But uh, the word kingdom, the word we translate as kingdom uh, in, our, in our Bibles is as a noun, uh, and the Greek and the Hebrew is actually a verb. So it's not a kingdom. It's more uh, the act of ruling or reigning. Like instead of saying the kingdom is at hand, it might make sense to say the rule or the reign of God is at hand. Okay? It's not necessarily a place, a geographical location, as much as it is the, the act of ruling and reigning. Jesus uses this, uh, this word over 50 times uh, just in the Gospel of Matthew alone. That's like once every 1.42 pages. Don't fact check me on that I'm not sure. Um, no, but he uses it a lot. It seems like he's trying to get a, across a point here, okay? He's using this word over and over. The good news, the gospel of this kingdom is here. Um, and so uh, Jesus kicks off his entire ministry in Matthew 3, 2 with the words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So uh, the concept, this concept of heaven doesn't really, I guess it doesn't really jive with the American Christian concept of heaven. Um, usually you ask, okay, if I ask what is heaven like, what I typically hear is kind of like, you know, you're naked and you wear white robes and sing all the time, you know, or it looks like, like this, you know, well, not that it looks, this is kind of what you think of when you think of heaven, you know, they're not naked, but you get the idea. Um, and we have this vision in our head that that's what heaven is like. Um, or uh, when I typed in heaven and Google, Google images, what's the next one? It was all, it was this, it was like this cloudy, like ethereal place that's like, you know, what is, the, what is there to do there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> just walk up the stairs. <laughs> that sounds fun, you know? You know, I was like, you wear white robes and sing all the time. And I mean, as a kid, I was like, well, that sounds like hell, but it's better than burning all the time. So I'll pray the prayer, dunk me in the water, sign me up, let's do this thing. Um, no, but that's what we think of. And so what I, I want to say is that I think Jesus is telling a different story here. Um, 
Yeah, I think he's, he's, he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is here. It's among you. He says you can enter into it right here and now. He says repent for the rule or the reign of God is here. It's at hand. All right, Jesus, where is it? Is it is the kingdom, is it heaven out there? You know, where, do, where do I go when I die? Like, is it out there or is it here? Which is it? And so I think really to understand what Jesus is getting at here, to why, why it's so significant and important, the words he's saying about this gospel of the kingdom, we need to trace it back to where this idea, this concept of ruling and reigning starts, okay? And like I said, there's not gonna be a lot of points and illustrations. Just stick with me. We're gonna trace the thread from where this concept of ruling and reigning starts, which is in Genesis, first page of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, all the way through the Bible to Revelation. It's all the way through it. Um, so yeah, yeah, let's go back to, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 20, through 28. This is the garden. This is God is creating man. Okay. All right, so uh, it says that uh, then God said, this is at the beginning of all things, let, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over, or let them rule over, the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. Um, In the image of God, he created male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so... Um, so in the Bible, the Bible introduces this concept of ruling and reigning, and who's doing it? It's, it's us. So uh, in Genesis, God wants to rule the world through humans ruling on his behalf. Like, that's, that's what we see at the very beginning. Um, this is that uh, God created man in his image. Maybe you've heard that before and thought through that. There's a lot of, like, debate about what that actually means. Is it like our sense of morality is it uh, the fact that we have a soul or is it reason, the thing that separates us from the animals? What is it to be created in God's image? And so, but what I want to point to is I think the text actually gives us a very clear consequence of what it looks like and what it means to be created in God's image. It says, let us create man in our image and let them rule. That's the very next thing, okay? Um, I found that very interesting. And so as image bearers, we were designed to rule the world. We were designed to rule, to cultivate to create, to reflect God's creativity, his um, innovation out into the world. The human project was supposed to start there and we were supposed to take it somewhere, okay? Um, He gave us two very fundamental charges at the beginning. It says, you know, make babies and rule the world. That sounds great, okay. Yeah, that's awesome, but unfortunately, you guys know the story, many of you, they wanted more. That wasn't good enough. Um, What happened in the garden... Adam and Eve chose to distrust God. Uh, they wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to set up their own kingdom, and they wanted to rule themselves with God out of the equation. They bought into the lie that, that God is holding out on us. He doesn't actually want what's best for me. I know what's best for me. I want to rule myself. And so the rest of the story of the Bible and human history is what happens when humans Decide we want to rule ourselves. We've all chosen that. And what the chaos and the death and the evil that results from it. That's what the story of the Bible is all about. So that with the redemption, which we're getting into. So I want to to pause for a second. Um, I I want us to understand that the story in Genesis isn't like a nice fairy tale. Like it's not like a cool story with the talking snakes. And it sounds kind of weird, you know, you read through it. But but what I think we need to understand is this is 
our story, 100%. We have chosen to rule. We want to be our own gods. We want to reign and rule ourselves, and we, want, we don't want to come under his, we don't want him to rule us. And so in the garden, God separate, they, had, they were separated from God. You see, we were all made to be satisfied through a relationship with God. We were created for that. And if we don't have that relationship, you'll never, ever be satisfied. You'll never find your peace and purpose in this life. And so you, know, and you think, well, why would God separate them? That's not fair. Okay, well, first of all, he is just. He has to punish sin, but that's not even the, I mean, just logically think about it. A relationship doesn't work. A marriage doesn't work whenever this person over here loves this person with all their heart sacrificially, and this person over here loves themselves. It's not a relationship, you know? It doesn't work. It's going to be destructive. And that's, that's our story. We've chosen ourselves, and God loves us, but we, don't, we want him out of the equation, and I'll tell you, you'll never, I love this quote. I heard it um, in a Tim Keller sermon. I don't know who he was quoting. I couldn't find it. But uh, this girl, she was, this woman, she was an atheist. She hated the whole idea of God. Um, and, and, and then she experienced him. She, she uh, realized what this book here, what this book says is, tr- is true of her. And, and she experienced the joy and the satisfaction of the relationship being restored. And she said, I didn't know that I was a bell until I was rung. Everyone is looking for a purpose. Everyone on this planet. Why am I here? What's the point of all this? You're a bell. Let God ring you. You may not know it, but, but some of you have experienced that. Yeah, okay, I know my purpose. I've come into it, but you'll never experience So that's this idea of hell. It's, it's separation from God. We've kind of uh, put this uh, fiery pitchfork concept of hell, but this idea of hell, separation from God, never, ever satisfied, ever, because you hold tight to your reign and your rule. You refuse to come under the rule and the reign of God. That's our story. Um, okay, so where was I? Sorry. Uh, the unfolding of this story. That's right. Okay, so just, I don't have the points. So I'm going to say, I'm just going to sum up what we're doing here. We are tracing the thread, the kingdom, the ruling thread from Genesis. Okay, we've set up our kingdom of man to oppose the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to move forward as to what that looks like in the narrative. Um, okay. So mankind chooses to set up his own kingdom. So the entire first chapters, uh, first 11 chapters of the Bible is the result of that. We see it getting worse and worse and worse. When man insists on ruling himself, chaos and evil and destruction is the result. So then we get to chapter 12. Chapter 12 of Genesis is uh, God chooses Abraham. He chooses a family. He's like, okay, I'm choosing a family. I'm going to make a nation, and they're going to be the ones that reflect my kingdom, what my kingdom values look like out into the world, my goodness and my holiness. That's what Israel was supposed to be, like the establishment of God's kingdom here. But as you know, if you've read the Bible, um, if you've read the Genesis, like, or all the way through the Old Testament, they, they really do a poor job of that. They consistently disobey. They choose their will instead of God's will. I don't want to come and they even like at one point they're ruling God is their king and they say no we want a human king we want to be like everyone else and so, uh, so unfortunately they they fail but if you've read the prophets you know that so uh, the prophets and the poets they held on to this hope that one day yeah Israel we're failing we don't we can't do this for some reason we keep messing up but one day a king is going to come and he's going to set all things right he's going to bring order to the chaos, all right? He's going to fix the brokenness and redeem it. That's just, they were holding on to that hope. They've, God spoke it through every single major and minor prophet. Um, there's literally 300 and six, over 360 prophecies that Jesus fulfills, right? Foretelling things about Jesus. 
Um, yeah, so Jeremiah says uh, 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 that I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord um, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Jeremiah 31 says, I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now stick with me. What they're saying here is that we keep failing. We can't do this. But one day, the king is gonna come. He's gonna come with such power that he can actually change our, the human condition. He can change our hearts. He's coming. They're holding on to this hope of that. Um, and then Isaiah, man, Isaiah he nailed it. God just spoke to him and told him what Jesus was even going to look like, what he, what he was going to be like. And Isaiah 53 says that he had no form of majesty that we should look at him. So this one, this king who's coming, um, he had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. And said, so the Lord has laid upon him the sins of us all. Okay, so he's saying, like, this, this new king is coming. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rock your world. It's going to be surprising. It's not going to be what you expect. So now we see that all of history at this point has been leading up to this idea of this king that's coming back to fix things. We come to Jesus, all right? Jesus comes on the scene saying things like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's crazy. People will be freaking out if you say that. You understand why? He, I mean, I'm surprised he lasted three years of that ministry before being killed right? This is huge. This is politically charged language. Um, so uh, let's, I mean, just look, look at his ministry. Look at like the flow of his ministry in context of him being the king. He says, I mean, he goes around announcing that the kingdom is at hand. Repent and follow me. And I'm not only the messenger, but I'm the king, right? And then what's the first thing he does? He chooses 12 disciples, right? God chose 12 nations or 12 tribes of Israel for his covenant people. Jesus comes on the scene. He chooses 12 disciples to be his new covenant people, right? To reflect his new kingdom out into the world. And the majority of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are blank for theirs is the kingdom. He's telling everyone this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven. He's telling, telling everyone, and he says you, you're never, you can't enter into it. You can't enter into it until you're born again. You can't be good enough, he says. You can't be good enough, moral enough to be a part of this kingdom. He's like, I gotta change your heart. He said, the new kingdom is here and it's not what you expected. I mean, think about it. What does a successful kingdom look like in our terms? You know, it's gotta be strong. It's gotta be able to impose its will on others and to defeat its enemies. But Jesus says the greatest person in uh, God's kingdom is the one, is the weakest, one who serves and the one who loves the poor, seeks peace and forgives his enemies. This is up, I love that, I've heard a lot of preachers say this is an upside down kingdom. It's not what you think, it's not what we think of when we think of a, a kingdom. So here, so all these like deep kingdom ironies and then we come to Jesus at the climax of the gospel story, um, the crucifixion, and we have the king. Colossians 1 says, through Jesus, through him and for him, everything was made. That's like, I mean, this is God in the flesh. The king comes and in an act of sacrificial love, he dies for his enemies. He takes the curse, the punishment of sin and death. All of that, all the chaos that we did, he takes that, all that into himself, right? Uh, Isaiah 53 says, the father crushed him. He was crushed for our sins, punished for you and for me. 
This is what Jesus did for us. And, and then, he, you guys know, three days later, he rises from the dead. What does that mean? He defeats death. Every single person, every human tastes death. No one defeats it. This man does. Jesus rises from the dead. He defeats death. He says, if you come follow me now, I'm gonna give you this eternal life, this resurrection that I've experienced. It's yours. Just come follow me. Renounce your little king, your little kingdom, your reign and your rule. Come under the rule and the reign of a good and loving king. So what is the good news of the kingdom? The good news is that death and injustice and human suffering is not the end of our story. Right? The true king has come back to take his reign from humanity. And he's inviting everyone to repent, to turn from your kingdom. Come into his. Come into this. He's like, you don't have to hold, lay down your arms. Come into my kingdom. I'm inviting you. This is amazing news. This is not, you know, you know what, how are we not proclaiming this everywhere, you know? That's a... Uh, and, he wants, and the rest of the good news is he wants to use you and me to fix broken humanity. I mean, look at the story of the Bible. Rarely does God, like, just himself show up and do something. He, he wants to use us. Look at Moses. I mean, Moses and the plagues, part in the Red Sea. Like, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's using humanity to bring his rule and his reign. That's the plan from the beginning. How? How do we fix broken humanity? this message. Dude, Jesus is alive from the dead, right? Dude, Jesus is alive from the dead. That means your humanity can be restored, okay? Like, we're supposed to be telling everyone, now, you turn from your little kingdom. It's nothing. It's going to fall. You're going to be miserable there. Come into this beautiful kingdom where, where it's all about loving, serving, where people get along, you know? It's not all about you anymore. We all turn and say it's all about him. See, and the, the whole point is um, that, uh, he, he has the power to change your heart. No one else does. No, there's no other, like there's so many religions in this world that can, that can teach you uh, how to be a, a better person morally, right? This king comes saying that I'm not telling you you can be better. I'm saying that you can't. And I'll change your heart personally. I'll make you desire good. I'll, I'll, make, I'll help you stop desiring yourself and your little kingdom and I'll help you see the big picture and I'll change your heart, make you new and then you get to live in this new creation and this new kingdom and we get to help partner with God and fix things. Now, um, I know what you're thinking. That sounds great. The kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. Awesome. Uh, but what about all the evil? Like if Jesus came, why is there still all this chaos and all this death and destruction, this evil? Um, you know, you know, what? Why, you know, you haven't met my mother-in-law, you know? I can say that I don't have a mother-in-law, so. So my answer to you would be, yes, there is still evil in the world. <laughs> but um, that's, we live in, uh, Paul Tripp says it like this. We live in, in between the already and the, and the not yet. She's probably not the first who said that. But we live in between, see, Jesus, the already, Jesus has come. Jesus has come. He's established his kingdom here and now. And he's using us. He says, partner with me, come under my rule, and we're gonna fix things. We're gonna redeem the brokenness. You know this idea of redeem. He's like, he's not just wanting to burn this place. He came here, and he rose in the flesh. There's something about this big blue ball that God cares about, okay? He's excited about it. He wants to use you and me to fix it. He says, but you can't, you can't do it until you, I love it. He tells the most religious man in Israel, the best moral man in Israel, the same thing he tells the prostitute. 
got to be born again. I have to change you. You have to renounce your little kingdom. You got to come follow me, and I will change you. I'll use you. Okay. Sorry, I lost my notes. Okay, so let's, I said it goes from the beginning to the end. So what does Jesus mean by the end? Revelation 21, he says that, we said the already, he's come, the not yet. He's coming back. And he's gonna consummate his kingdom. He's gonna set all things right. See, this kingdom is not uh, recognized by the entire world yet, right? We still see all this death. We see this destruction. But he's coming one day. He says he will wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. The old things have passed away. Revelation 22, uh, 4 says that no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants, us, will, be, will worship him and we will reign forever and ever. The second to last chapter, or the second to last paragraph of the Bible ends with us, just like we were supposed to in Genesis, ruling and reigning with God forever. In this new kingdom where there's no more, no more insecurity or selfishness, hatred. Okay, so this is why we wait expectantly for Jesus to come back. I, I remember as a kid, like, I was not stoked about Jesus coming back. I'm just going to be honest, okay? I was like, all right, as an eighth grader, you know, like, Jesus, you just hold off for a little while. I, I would really like to make out with a girl before you come back, Okay. <laughs> I just have a feeling there's not going to be a lot of making out when you get back, so I just like to experience that. <laughs> but that's my thought process. I didn't want all these things I'm not going to get to experience, but now I see when Jesus comes back, he's going to make everything good and right and beautiful. It's exciting. I mean, like, I mean, get pumped about it. You know, but, but here's the thing. There's two options. You can come into his kingdom or you can hold on to yours. And Jesus says, when I come back, if you, if you hold on to your kingdom, you've got it forever. You don't get the life that I've bought for you, that I've come to this world to give you. You get yourself forever separated from the truth, the love, the satisfaction and purpose that he has. Like the good news is so good, that makes the bad news really bad, right? He's, he's got to change. Have you experienced that? Has, has your heart been changed? Have you had that encounter, that relationship? Has it been restored? It's all about, like, God, want, he, does, he loves you. He loves you so much. I mean, look what the links he went to to get you, you know? He came, God, if this is true, God, the creator of the universe, came here and walked with a fleshly body. He, he probably fell, skinned his knee, he had to use the bathroom and eat and sweat and cry and weep. If the creator of the universe did that, he did that for you so that you could come into this new kingdom, partner with him, and fix things. And then in the end, you get to rule and reign with him. This is good news. What's the practical application? Sorry, I know I'm probably going over time. Um, okay. First, he says, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel, we know what that means now, of the kingdom has to be preached to all nations as a testimony to all peoples. And then the end will come. Understand the urgency of this gospel going ever. He doesn't say that maybe this, this message, this kingdom message might possibly one day get to every nation. He said, he told his disciples, no, go and make disciples of all nations. This is worth dying for it. Every one of them died for it. Almost every single one were crucified upside down, burned alive. They realized that this is so important. Jesus is alive from the dead. They hold on to the hope. It's worth giving your life for because you get a new life, a, resurrection, a resurrected life. I love my comfort. I just think the good news hasn't sunk in enough for me. 
And this is why we go on mission trips. This is why, this is why you got to listen to Mr. Man Bun up here instead of Chad Davis. He's, on, he's in China. He's telling people. It's worth going. This is why we have, this is why we plant churches. This is why we give our time and our money and our resources. This is what we should be praying for. Has it sunk in? Somehow the end coming is tied to us going, him using us to go get this good news to the whole world. This is incredible news. I'm afraid we, find, we fall into the mindset, get saved and behave, right? This, this life is a waiting room for you to get your rocket ship ride up there like left behind style, like gone. I remember as a kid, I don't know if you've seen Left Behind, I used to see my dad like lay out his clothes and I'd walk by, <gasps> I've been left behind, he's, he's gone. You know what I'm saying? That's it. Jesus is coming here. He's coming back, he's coming to fix things. Are you gonna hold on to your kingdom or are you gonna come into his? Okay, so that's, that's the end. I'm gonna pray for us and then real fast, I know I probably kept you over time, but we're gonna watch a short video to introduce you to uh, the church that we're gonna go be a part of um, reaching in Los Angeles. So uh, if you'll pull up the um, video, we'll watch that and then I'll give you like three minute introduction to what we're doing and we'll be done. Hello, I'm Jeff. And I'm Allie. And we lead a missional community here in Soma Culver City. Um, Josh asked us to answer a few questions for you guys to tell you about LA. And so the first one is, what do we love about LA so much? It's really hard to narrow it down because we love pretty much everything about LA, but primarily we love LA because of the diversity. There's so many different neighborhoods here. You can literally drive 10, 15 minutes and be transported to a completely different place. We have no shortage of restaurants, museums, concert venues. Topographical locations, hiking, mountains, rivers, ocean, the beach. We love the diversity here, not only of the city, but of its people from all over the world, from all different walks of life, all different phases of life, all doing life in the same place. And so you can literally never get bored. There's never something you not new to check out, and we love that about the city. And it's 75 and sunny every day. It's a long list. Um, the other thing, what? Traffic, okay. Yes, there's traffic here. That, that's, that's part of it. Uh, the hardest thing about being a follower of Jesus here is people come here uh, to pursue their passions, their careers, their desires. And I think with that, it's easy to uh, let that become your value, let that become who you are and your identity. And so there's a lot of distractions here, like in many cities. But I think uh, it's very prominent here. And so to be able to keep Jesus at the forefront and to be able to be in community to remind you of who you are and, and that's... Uh, what you live out of um, is something that's so crucial and I think it's important um, that as we live in community we get to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so, But that's one of the challenges here and one of the temptations here um, when you move here. Um, Lastly, uh, how, have you, how have we seen God working in our city? Um, there's a lot of things that God's been doing, but for our missional community specifically, there's a lot of people who move here and who are uh, lonely, who don't know anyone, um, who basically don't have family. And because we believe uh, in who God's made us to be, one of those identities is that we're a family together. Um, we've gotten to see people who didn't know Jesus welcomed into our family, um, some of them coming to know Jesus, and some of them just feeling the love of God. Christ and, the, and the, the restoration that the gospel brings. I think people are a lot more receptive here to friendship, which sounds crazy, but so many people live here for years and don't ever establish true friends. And so for the church 
to be present in an area and to be actually forming relationships that aren't flaky, that are genuine, for yeah. us to be intentional with our friendships. Because so many people here don't have family, friendship becomes so much stronger and so much more real and so much more visceral it in, becomes the way, family. in the way that the old church was. And so we get to experience that here because we essentially, we form our own families here. And it's been such a gift to see people become vulnerable and become kind of just raw in community and in that we get to see God work. Yeah. And I think a lot more of a bigger way than if everybody was comfortable, if you will. And so getting to see that lived out here is amazing. And our family is our family here. Yeah, yeah. And you know, not every single one of these people that comes into our community necessarily comes to know Jesus uh, like while they're with us, but at least we get to see, you know, like we get to give a foretaste of the kingdom um, to people and um, it, that's been so so amazing and so fruitful and get, to get to do it against the backdrop of this beautiful city has been woo, has been something else that's really incredible because we get to see creation here I mean it is beautiful here in every possible way just from the mountains to the ocean that we can literally see from a single vantage point it's been incredible to not only have people come to know Jesus and to know community but for people to come and see just how big and how beautiful God is and how amazing and beautiful his creation is and his people are because we get to experience that and witness that on such a huge level in such a big city like Los Angeles. Yeah. And so we're really grateful that this is the backdrop, if you will, to our ministry. And we, our heart just continues to grow for the city and for its people because it is such an amazing place. And to get to bring people alongside of that, for people to love the city, want to stay here, want to plant roots, want to maintain relationships has been really amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hope that gives you a little bit of a snapshot of life in LA. Um, it's awesome, it's hard, it's great, um, and we get to do it together. So. Yeah. So if you're thinking about it, praying about it, come join us. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay, cool. So that's those are my like first contacts when I met there. And so real fast, I'll tell you kind of what we're doing. Um, what does Jesus mean by all nations? Didn't really answer that because we don't actually know for sure when he says it. Um, but people who are way smarter than me and know a lot more Greek and stuff than me say that uh, likely it means people groups. Um, and, and they've kind of condensed people groups to they think there's about 12,000 people groups, uh, six, uh, between six and 7,000 unreached, like less than 2% there know the gospel, have access to the gospel. And then there's like 3,000 or 4,000 that have, there's no strategic plan in place for reaching those people groups. Um, so that's, that's part of why Los Angeles. There's a whole call story. There's a, whole, there's a lot more to it. But uh, there is over 300 different ethnic groups represented in Los Angeles. I mean, there's 18 million people in the greater Los Angeles area. And so there's one point where we're at in Culver City. There's this, like, kind of this mountain vantage point. And you can see with your eyes 4 million people. Like, you're looking down at 4 million people. There's about 10 gospel-centered churches for those 4 million. If you can imagine, like, here in Hattiesburg, you know, or I think we're like 60, 70,000 people in Hattiesburg. I think we have like 200 churches. Like, yeah, seriously, um, there is this huge need in Los Angeles. It's like 5% Christian. Um, like people are, like she said, people are lonely there. I met people who had been there for a year and had zero friends, like cool people. Like everyone's on their own time, you know, and no one cares. Like to everyone's, they are desperate for community. Um, yeah, so over the next, uh, from August to October, the venue's gonna be sending out myself and about 10 others to go get jobs and to go uh, make disciples there, right? And so I'll be going through uh, an internship, 
slash residency where I'll be learning the ins and outs of planting a church. So in the first year, they do missional communities um, because we're going to embed in this church just to be a part of who they are and learn the city and learn the culture. Um, And then we're going to start missional communities, which is like community groups. It's the same thing. Um, And as we start those and those grow, so if like here is the church, they have missional communities all around. So we'll start a few over here where there's already some. And as those grow, God willing, between year uh, one and two, we will start a new gathering. So we'll have a new gathering of people. And so by this, they intend to spread out, multiply all across Los Angeles. Because uh, geography is really important there. Uh, you pretty much attract from about a seven-mile radius of your gathering. So you have this gathering, multiply out to this one. And then you start missional communities throughout that net. As those grow, gather, we start another one and another one. So that's the vision. That's what we're trying to do, how we're going to reach Los Angeles. And you know, people come to Los Angeles. All these nations come there. They get educated, and they go home, right? Like, people from nations that you can't even get into. And so we get this opportunity to, like Jesus said, make, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get to reach all nations here, um, here in Los Angeles. And so that's, that's the goal. That's the vision. Um, if you want to uh, learn how you can partner, how you can support financially or in prayer um, more in depth, I'll be back there at the end. You can come talk to me or you can just contact me personally and we can set up a meeting and I'd love to tell you more about kind of what's happening. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll get the band to come on up. God, um, oh man, thank you for the good news. Thank you that you came and that you initiated your kingdom, that you've taken back your rule and your reign and your...